Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Sierra Vista, the official podcast of the City of Sierra Vista. I'm your host, Public Information Officer Adam Curtis, and today we'll be joined by longtime Sierra Vista Fire Marshal Paul Samino. Saturday, May 1st is National Wildfire Preparedness Day, and we'll ask Paul how local residents can help protect their properties and our community. Anyone who lived in Sierra Vista 10 years ago can attest to the importance of wildfire safety. June 12th will mark the 10th anniversary of the start of the Monument Fire. And for those of us who remember it, it's frankly hard to believe that it's been that long. The Monument Fire consumed about 70 structures, including dozens of homes. Fueled by dry fuels and intense winds, the fire ravaged more than 30,000 acres as it shot down the canyons in the Huachuca Mountains with such power and fury that it created its own weather conditions, even sending four fire tornadoes spinning across Highway 92. It's a crisis I'll never forget covering as a local reporter, and I'm sure it's one that left its mark on Paul's career too. But much like that fire, Paul's career is monumental in scope. Over the course of about 40 years, Paul has left his own mark on our community by ensuring residents stay safe, investigating dangerous fires, and bringing joy to families in need during the department's annual Christmas toy drive. When Paul retires later this year as the city's longest tenured employee, he can do so knowing the work he did helped make Sierra Vista a better place. I'm excited to talk to Paul about his many years of service to our community and hope residents will take his advice on wildfire safety to heart. So let's get to the interview. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, so as everyone probably has noticed, uh, spring is a very windy time of year for Sierra Vista. And it is also a time of year where a lot of the vegetation dries out and it just really sets up these prime conditions for wild wildfires to spark. Um, so one of the things I wanted to cover today is, is how can homeowners uh, protect their properties and kind of prepare um, each year uh, just in case you know, the worst case scenario does happen. Yeah, you know, that, that's the key, right? Mm -hmm. I think the best protection is through prevention. Mm -hmm. And uh, to say that we're going to be careful one part of the year, I really can't say that. Uh, in our line of business, we want everybody to be fire and life safety uh, safe every day. Mm -hmm. So think about your surroundings. Think about what you're doing. Think about the weather. I mean, especially now. Uh, I mean, we, we do cross our fingers this time of the year. Mm -hmm. The wind starts blowing. Things dry out. One, one spark, that's all it takes. And then we have a, a tragic event. And what we're asking folks to be mindful of during this time of the year especially is when you're using an open flame, a spark of any sort, make sure that you're using it at the appropriate time and have everything in place in the event that something should go awry. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then um, in terms of like property management, um, I know you want to have kind of a, a uh, a clear area around your home, uh, so you don't want a lot of kind of dry fuels ready to go around your home. Uh, what are what are some common tips uh, for folks looking to, to keep their homes safe just in case a fire does start? Right. In the fire service, they call that a defensive space or defensive barrier mm -hmm. around your home. And really, you have to look at where you are. Uh, sit, uh, situated in, in the city proper, we have uh, our, our homes and our lands are a little bit more tightly fit. Uh, when you get out south of town, we have more wildland. You're going to want to have bigger buffers around your home with uh, clear vegetation. So uh, a good starter for those who live in residential homes uh, areas is like 10 feet, 20 feet from any combustible structure. That means your fence lines, uh, your sheds, your, your, uh, obviously your homes. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a misnomer that I've been dealing with for a while. Well, I live in a stucco home, so I don't have nothing to worry about. That's not true. Everything's fire resistance to a point. Mm -hmm. And eventually, with enough, enough, uh, the right fuel, the right conditions, everything will burn. So we want you just to make sure to take the time. 
We're in spring. We always talk about spring cleaning. Let's go around, looking around, uh, start picking up all these things that have gathered around the, your, your yard for the winter months because typically we're not doing a whole lot of yard work, but now we are, mm-hmm. and we're going to see people doing some imaginative ways to get rid of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and within the city limits, I know uh, open burning and residential properties is prohibited. Um, so, you know, what's a good alternative for folks looking to, uh, you know, get rid of all that yard waste? Right. Um, you know, first things, uh, we don't get a whole lot of uh, requests for permitting, mm-hmm. uh, but the uh, the best way to do it is cut and bag, pilot, and uh, call the city for, uh, if you live in the city and you have sanitation pickup, call for a special pickup and have it disposed and let it take it to green waste. Yeah, absolutely. And those pickups uh, happen on Wednesdays and you just have to schedule them the Monday prior. Uh, and the phone number of that is 458-7530. That's 458-7530. And that's actually a 24-7 phone line uh, customer service number. Uh, and if you have any questions, you can always contact Public Works. Um, but it's a service we use at home a lot. It's super convenient, and all that gets turned into compost, uh, which is also then available for sale uh, over at the compost facility. Um, but aside from uh, kind of managing your property and doing that kind of thing, another another thing people don't unfortunately think about until it's too late is is coming up with a plan. Uh, so having a, an evacuation plan and 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 actually practicing that plan with your family. Um, so is that is that something you kind of encourage as well? We do. You know, I hate to pick on COVID, but I will one more time because <laughs> COVID uh, has really put. Uh, a stop to a lot of our programs mm-hmm. and no better program that we had was when we were in, in the schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would go out with our fire and life safety trailer. Uh, this, this is a, a tool that we have at our disposal. We've had for many years uh, to help educate, not just the children, but also the school staff. Mm-hmm. So everybody, including the lunch staff would come out and cause everybody needs to be protected, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, it's not just crawling around in, in a bunch of fake smoke. Uh, this is a tool that when you come in, you can put your hands on. Mm-hmm. We want you to touch everything in there because everything in there is a learning moment. And uh, we, we, we try to use it as best we can. Um, so, yes, to, to answer your question, the bre- best way to prepare yourself is to plan and then practice it with everybody in your family, even your smallest children. I'd be, you'd be surprised what a three-year-old retains when you're able to give them a task. Everybody has a job to do. Everybody needs to know that job. Get out, stay out, go to your meeting place. All these things that uh, sound simple, uh, but in, in a panic, people will be, be moving, looking for things that they normally wouldn't do. Uh, your paths leading out of your home that you do every day change when it's filled with smoke or the anxiety of a fire. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't want to have to figure it out on the fly in that, in that moment. Absolutely. Um, so we, we mentioned, you know, be careful when you're outside, particularly on windy days, that kind of thing. Fourth uh, of July will be coming up here eventually. Um, can you give us a little reminder on what the, the local laws are pertaining to fireworks and then also just kind of the common sense safety that should go along with that? Certainly. Uh, first and foremost, the, uh, the, the fireworks that are legal to be used in our state. Uh, they call them consumer-grade fireworks. They are a specific grade, specific grain. Uh, they have a specific use, meaning that the manufacturers designed them to do a specific thing. For example, your spinners spin around on the, on the ground and they have a certain distance. Uh, the ones that you will find in our stores or in the few tents that are uh, pop up around town are all legal. Uh, I, I inspect those tents, as did the fire inspector. Uh, we get the inventories, we review those. 
Um, we will be looking at some changes because the state is now making some changes in those laws. Um, but uh, that's to, uh, to come. So let's talk about what you need to know now. So first of all, to use fireworks, uh, the, the, the permissible fireworks, you can only use it on private property. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can't take it to the parks. Uh, you technically can't even take it out on public streets. Uh, and private property means just that. If you are leasing the home that you're in, you have to have permission from the property owner. Mm -hmm. So when does this become important? When things go bad. So we don't want to invite you know, a tragic event to your celebration. So take the few extra moments of steps and make sure you're doing everything by the book because when things go bad, that's when the finger pointing starts and we don't want that to happen. So uh, the other thing that's probably more important to me right now, uh, of course, danger, of course, fire, but injury. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't, you know, if you look up on the websites, NFPA, National Fire Protection Association, has a wonderful website and it talks about all the statistics uh, on fireworks uh, injuries. Um, it's not the, the explosives. Uh, it's the sparklers, mm -hmm. the ones that we hold in our hand, twirl around, they make those nice little sparks. And all of the sparks are not the issue. The, the rod that it burns on can reach temperatures of 1,200 degrees. So in the wrong hands, mm -hmm. not being properly supervised, uh, they, 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 they will spark. I'll use that part. <laughs> they will spark uh, danger and injury. And they, they are the number one cause of injuries in the emergency rooms. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that's something you don't really think about often because the sparkler seems like such an innocent little thing. Um, so you really got to be mindful, especially around kids and people who may just not really be paying attention or, or know what they're doing with that. Um, I know in, in Arizona, if you do happen to actually spark a wildfire, wildfire, isn't there actually a provision that you can actually be held accountable for the cost of that fire to a certain degree? Or? Absolutely. Um, and the judges and the prosecutors contact my office uh, in those incidents. They want to know uh, what kind of damage occurred. Uh, they want to know who responded to the fire because in, we have mutual and uh, automatic aids. Mm -hmm. So you can be charged with the response of the fire department, medical response, and everybody who was responding for, to mitigate that emergency, uh, the judge can go ahead and levy those fines, and they are large. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't give you a dollar amount because everything's specific to the loss. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, in this case, what, please heed what I tell you, although they are legal to use, mm -hmm. you have the responsibility responsible to uh, use them safely and how the manufacturer recommends them. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, this time of year, it's kind of kind of impossible not to think about the monument fire. Uh, and when I was researching this episode, I actually realized it's actually the 10th anniversary uh, since that actually happened. Uh, and for me, it seems so much more recent because it's just one of those I guess they call them like flashbulb memories or those, those memories that just kind of stick in your mind forever. Um, I just remember uh, the first time it rushed down one of the canyons and it was you know this time of year in May and June when there are high winds. And in the afternoons, the winds would just pick up. And I think it might've been Ash Canyon was the first canyon, I believe. And it looked like an atom bomb went off on that mountain and the smoke just, it was tremendous. And, and uh, I interviewed a guy who was the last guy out of Ash Canyon um, and he was looking for his last cat uh, and was heading back inside. Uh, and right as he was about to go back inside, the flag, an American flag on his porch, 
it burst into flames over his head. And he literally raced down the driveway, fumbled for his keys, got in his truck, and uh, drove down the canyon with wildlife all around him, uh, also running as the, as the flames were kind of surrounding them. Uh, and he, he fortunately got out. He's an example of, of why you need a good evacuation plan and you need to heed those pre-evacuation warnings. Um, but it was just such a fascinating time to be a local reporter and to kind of work in that environment where, you know, every day it was like a ticking time bomb on the mountain. You just knew um, that afternoon it was going to pick up and you didn't know what was going to happen, um, but you knew it was going to be significant uh, just based on kind of what we were seeing as it would hit the next canyon and then the next canyon a day or two later. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to kind of get your take um, on that kind of period of time. It was just a guess a couple weeks basically um, but it seemed so much longer for me and, and I can only imagine what it uh, must have been like for someone like you who was who was working with the department but uh, what, what do you remember most about that time I could remember um, primarily coming into work and and the normal work duties have all stopped the reassigning of personnel bringing in people other agencies this was an all-hands type fire, obviously. So we had people coming from all different states that we typically don't. Yeah, we had the National Incident One Management Team, right. which is the highest level uh, in the nation. We were, for a little while, we were the highest priority you know, fire. You have hot uh, shots. You got these people yeah. who are the experts in the field coming in. So uh, that's a, a rough way to see all that expertise come into your area, but it was very much needed. Um, what I remember most is uh, how to remain flexible in your day. Because as you stated, you, you didn't know from one moment to the next what you were you were going to have to do. Um, we pulled very long hours. The recall on, on our staff was, uh, and not just the city, I'm talking the county, mm -hmm. um, was tremendous. You know, you didn't maybe go home, you know, when you wanted to go home. And you were called back when you probably didn't want to be called back. But this was, you know, this town, for all intents and purposes, was burning. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, People's uh, lives were affected by it. Their living, their animals, uh, just the, the normal uh, necessities of life were interrupted. Um, imagine, you know, being in a line to get water and food, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and not being prepared for that. Who is? Mm -hmm. uh, but that, that is my memory of it, uh, and I will never forget that. And the people who live in the areas that were most affected will never forget it either because we see them. I met a, a, a woman that was at fire station three getting her vaccines and she had she's seen a photo on the on the wall that reminded her of what can happen and it happened to be a, the mountains just filled with smoke and she goes that is a constant reminder to me uh, she goes i'm just now coming to grips with that mm -hmm. but she lost everything she had i mean how, how, do, how do you answer that yeah. you know so the best thing we can do is to prepare ourselves and, uh, and I don't know that we ever can't be prepared for a while in an incident like that, because mm -hmm. once it takes off, you're done. But there's things that we can do in, around our area, uh, in your little space, to try to protect yourselves. That's the best we can do, is to do the best you can for yourself. Because the bottom line is, uh, you, have your, you are responsible for your own safety first. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, then we can kind of put all the pieces together and hopefully mitigate this as fast as we can. Absolutely. Yeah. For, for those who weren't around, um, at one point during the Monument Fire, uh, crews were um, doing work, I guess, uh, digging fire lines um, and actually ended up uh, sparking a second fire called the Fort Fire, um, which was kind of off those neighborhoods um, near Cherokee Drive, like mm -hmm. south of town. 
um, which then threatened those neighborhoods. And I interviewed several people who had, you know, evacuated from the monument fire, you know, more close to Hereford, stayed with friends in that area, and then had to get evacuated again for the second time in as many days, pretty right. much. Um, and then so some of the things you don't think about are just all the animals affected, too. I remember going through the halls of Buena High School where there were all kinds of animals being housed. I mean, people have horses, birds, dogs, cats. I mean, that's all stuff you have to take care of. Mm -hmm. And when you're showing up to the shelters and stuff, I mean, you, you might be showing up with all your pets, too. And hopefully you have that plan in place where you have enough pet carriers. You know where they are. You have the kit that you can snag and get out real fast. Um, because... That fire was so dynamic um, that when it would shoot down the canyons, it did with such little warning and such ferocity. I remember someone compared it to putting a thumb over a over a hose. You know that little stream of water turns into just uh, just something going so fast, just like like a train coming down the mountain all of a sudden, mm -hmm. pretty much. So so you really got to heed those pre-evacuation notices. And if people aren't aware, you can actually go onto the county website and sign up for emergency alerts. Right. Um, and I believe that website is, uh, it's the emergency information page on the Cochise County website. That's cochise.az.gov slash emergency. And there's a button on there where you can actually sign up for those alerts. Um, and it's just, it's so important to, to pay attention because, uh, you don't want to be caught off guard and then, you know, not know where your pet is, not know where, where valuables are, um, and be kind of faced with figuring that in a, in a, in a moment of panic. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and so did you? Uh, what was it? What was it for you personally uh, during that time? Just because I remember for me it was really kind of heartwarming to see the flip side of just the community stepping up, absolutely, and, and just like all the donations that came in and all the support. Um, so I was kind of curious what, as a longtime Sierra Vista resident, what it was like for you to be here during a crisis like that. You know, I think I was just thinking in those terms. Although tragic as it was, and lots of things got lost, personal items and and whatnot. Uh, it, it seemed like whatever was needed was provided. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe not immediately, but food, water, shelter, people stepping up and taking in animals at their own homes. Mm -hmm. You know, that type of thing is is uh, not everybody who was waiting online was there to get something. Some of those pe people were there to to volunteer, give up their time, give up their of their money, of their possessions to help those in need, uh, and that's. One thing that I take away from living in Sierra Vista, uh, being a small community, people realize that we need one another in, in that time of need. And we do that throughout the year. But in this specific case, uh, people came, and I mean, they were given out of their pockets and, and all they can. And uh, it makes me proud to, to live in a community like that because this was no easy uh, tax, uh, tragedy to get through. And uh, we did it together as a community. Yeah, that was... Uh... It was intense for me, uh, the whole experience, but I came away from it feeling a lot closer to the community. I moved here in 2009, so it was just a couple of years after that, which is crazy for me to think about now. Um, but yeah, it left such a lasting impression on me, and I think it really does speak to the character of our community and the people who live here that they take care of each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really appreciate that. So. I know you've been here for a little while. Um, mm -hmm. I think uh, you've been with the, the city and the fire department for 40 years about? Going on 40 years, yes. Uh, so how did that start? Um, you know, what was, what was the fire service like back then? Uh, where did your interest in it actually spark? Well, um, it started with me driving down Fry Boulevard with my friend. And we were meeting up with his friend who actually was at the fire station 
uh, on Fry Boulevard. And then when we were waiting out in the parking lot, we were ushered in by one of the firefighters. And they said, you guys signing up? For what? And then, that, <laughs> <laughs> and then next thing we know, I know what we're signing up for. So we went in and we spoke to the guy, and he, they ran a records check on us with the PD and whatnot. Next thing you know, uh, we're in the volunteer reserve status. Um, and that turned into uh, full time for me when the time came. Uh, what it was like um, compared to today, it was a bare bones department. I mean, we were one station. You had four guys on duty, um, plus the volunteers. Um, very little equipment. Uh, there was sharing of equipment. Um, there was times that the equipment was outdated. I, I, I recall, I have a Polaroid, yes, I have a Polaroid <laughs> of me when I, in my gear, and every bit of it was mixed, matched. Mm -hmm. Black pants, yellow coat, two different size gloves, and a helmet that didn't fit. <laughs> but that's the way it was, and we didn't know any better. We are leaps and bounds from there today. Mm -hmm. We have gear that you buy that's, that's the best of the best. It fits. It's almost tailor-made to each individual, from their boots to their helmet to the mask that they breathe out of, uh, when, they, when they're in fire. Um, but I never forget where I came from. Uh, my first seat on the truck was on a tailboard. So I was hanging on the back of the bumper, uh, the step, the rear step, hanging onto a bar. And that's how you went to a fire. You know, if you'd have a seat, you hung on and, and you went for a ride. So um, don't do that anymore. <laughs> uh, you, you're sitting in a seat, you belt it in, you got a door, uh, and it's, uh, we're slowing down. You're not always will you see, you know, an ambulance, fire truck, or any of our apparatus going with lights and sirens. Mm -hmm. We have a different mindset. You know, you you got to be able to get to an incident. So let the call be the reason why you're, you know, you're stepping it up, mm -hmm. lights and sirens. If you're getting information that says it's not, maybe not that immediate, you can get there just as fast if you obey by the regular traffic laws meaning don't run the red lights. People think, that must be cool to run a red light. That's my worst fear is going through a red light with my lights and sirens right. because you don't know if somebody's coming through if they're going to see you. So uh, different mindset of how we did things back then to now. Uh, we're we're going to ask you to be safe, then we have to be safe. If we're not, we can't get to help you. Oh, absolutely. And I, I know you guys do so much more in terms of just not just training but also um, you know, worried about diseases and, you know, implications of being in these environments with all these uh, hazards that have combusted and all that. So I know, I know firefighters, you know, it used to be a badge of honor maybe to have a messy uniform or something like that. I've heard stories like that. Uh, but these days you keep stuff clean because you don't want to bring that stuff home with you. You have, de they decon at the fire scene. Mm -hmm. So they decontaminate their stuff. Uh, it never goes back into the truck. Mm -hmm. It goes into a separate compartment because they have two sets of gear. So um, they get into the next set of gear. The, uh, the set that's all soiled will be extracted. It doesn't go into your regular whirlpool. Mm -hmm. It's got a special machine that extracts all that, get all the carcinogenic uh, uh, debris out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's, it's hung up to dry for the next call. Um, again, uh, these are things that we recognize necessary. Uh, a big, big percentage of cancer uh, being looked at for a lot of, of the reasons that we're discussing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that can be mitigated by, you know, taking care of your hygiene, you know, right after the fire scene. Mm -hmm. You know, you can inhale it, you can ingest it, you can absorb it. And if you can do that, I mean, in the line of work that we do, uh, 
those are the, the three fastest ways to get you know, carcinogens into your body. Mm -hmm. um, so we try to work a long career so we have something to, to, to look out, uh, out the window and say, this is what I've done and enjoy life uh, after, after the job. And sadly, there, there are guys not even making it to, to the end of their career, mm -hmm. but it's getting better. The state recognizes it. Our pension boards are, are figuring it out that there's much need for it. And we as a department, our organization has health and safety right up on the front bumper uh, that everybody must adhere to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to, to take care of the community, you got to take care of yourselves too. Correct. And, and it's really good to see see that information coming out and, and departments uh, getting on top of that stuff. Yes. Um, but speaking of long careers, uh, you're at the end of yours nearly. Mm -hmm. uh, you're due for retirement uh, coming up in September, I believe. Yeah, beginning of September. Um, so this might be a very broad, difficult question, but uh, what are some of the most memorable moments? I mean, this could be you've been a fire marshal for 16 years. You've done many other things, I'm sure. Um, but looking back over the last 40 years, uh, what are some of the things that stick out to you? Our service comes to you in, in two fashions. Um, reactive and proactive. Mm -hmm. Reactive, I've seen enough uh, damage uh, and I've seen enough tragedy in people's lives that um, for my lifetime, uh, I can, I've been on, on uh, scenes that where there were explosions. I've been on major fire incidents where many uh, structures were lost, uh, not just one home, but several homes and including their property. Um, and you never get used to seeing that. You, you don't get used to seeing it. And the fact that somebody's had their worst day of their life and you're there to help them is a reward in itself because what you're trying to do is bring some closure. I think that's what attracted me to uh, becoming the fire marshal. I uh, spent years uh, putting out fires, years educating folks when I can about the threat of fire and, and other types of emergencies and that um, when it came time for me to make a decision, it was an easy one because prevention was my calling in the service at that point. And I continue it for the remainder of my career. I am one lucky man. Mm -hmm. So um, with that, um, putting them out, now I'm investigating them and seeing how they started. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is a, um, it's not entirely difficult to do, um, people, oh, arson, that must be tough to, to figure out. Arson's not, not difficult to pick up. Figuring out an origin and cause of the fire, if you have enough evidence and information, can be done. Prosecuting it, that's <laughs> the difficult part. Yeah. Uh, because you have laws, and believe it or not, criminals have rights too, as much to my chagrin, but that's what I deal with. Um, but that said, uh, we can bring some closure, knowing that uh, we go out there and we... We do the very best we can for them, not just putting the fire out and leaving, but we have uh, resources like Red Cross. Um, we have uh, our local vendors, our local businesses that offer rooms, motels, places for people to stay right off the bat. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to get them off the street and we got to get them some creature comforts. And that's what we do. Um, I remember a gentleman saying, uh, he watched us with shop vacs in his garage, and we were cleaning up all the water that we sprayed to put the fire out. And he's going, wow, <laughs> I had no idea you guys had a shop vac, let alone did this. Mm -hmm. And um, it's called customer service. 
And we never forgotten that. And uh, in my whole career, it was preached to us that the customer, they're not just taxpayers, they're your customer. Mm -hmm. If you don't do the job for them, they got somebody else. But that's not why we did it. We did it because it's the right thing to do. And I think many of us, and I know in our organization, work very hard on being kind. Mm -hmm. And being kind can be very difficult at times, given the situation. But that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And we gladly do it. We accept it if you're going to be in this job. And I think I've proved that to myself being in this service for 40 years. Public service um, to me was not a calling. It was a gift. Hmm. And it was something that was offered to me. And I had to take it and go with it. And I'm very proud that I uh, to take that path because I had many mentors, many captains and chiefs that I've worked with um, that helped mentor me and point me in the right direction. Won't forget any of them. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a good perspective to have to, to think of it like a gift. Um, and speaking of gifts, um, the firefighters every year during Christmas uh, give out their own bags full of gifts to local children need. And I can't remember how long the toy drive has been going on, but I know you've been involved all 40 years of your time with the department. Yes. Um, so what has it been like supporting that event this whole time, and why have you been so active with it the whole time? What, what, what do you enjoy about it? What keeps you coming back to it? Oh, well, when I started as a volunteer, um, my previous job working for a moving company, the guys go, can you get some boxes? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I do. So uh, that's how it started. And then I, I really felt, you know, that wasn't enough. And, and, and in the fire service, you pay your dues mm-hmm. like anywhere else. And once they build trust in you and they know they can count on you, you become part of that process. Mm-hmm. So it moved into much more. Uh, when I got on full time, you get more jobs to do and more things to do. Um, I remember the first assignment I got was, uh, do you like kids? I, I said, well, I don't have any children. He goes, great. Go down to Bella Vista and talk to a bunch of kindergarten kids. That's great. <laughs> but my, my, my point for that is it was a learning experience that I embraced. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was nervous. I think I wasn't very good at it, uh, but I learned from it, and, uh, and I got better. Mm-hmm. And there's always room for improvement. But um, that said, uh, the, the Christmas drive part um, was something that started out with a handful of people. That needed help. Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're, we crested over 300 families. Uh, right. lots, that's a lot of kids. Um, and, you know, we've done food. We've done toys. We did clothes. And then we had to f- kind of kick it back a little bit because there's so many uh, worthy uh, charities out there that mm-hmm. deal with, you know, what we're doing. And, and to avoid duplicating our services, we, we decided to go back to what our, our real grind was and make sure the kids had something under the tree for Christmas. Mm-hmm. That was our major focus, and we've done that. And when I say we, that we, again, I'm going to go back out to the community mm-hmm. because without the community, we had no program. Mm-hmm. And this program was treated like a business. Uh, the, the community entrusted us with uh, their money, their donation of toys, their time, and we took that serious, and we treated it like a business. And because if you do it like a business, again, you're, you're accountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're accountable to the community. We're accountable to the IRS mm-hmm. uh, to get that tax, you know, deferred uh, donation. Uh, so we, we realize the seriousness of that. Right. Um, and matter of fact, when I leave here, I go back to my station. We're having a Christmas drive meeting. Oh, wow. And it's May. 
Yeah, it's not even July yet. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, we, we have some work to do yeah. outgoing. Uh, I, take, I, I had a major role, so there's going to be somebody taking my spot. So you mm-hmm. can't start soon enough. Right, absolutely. Uh, and, and we get donations throughout the year. Um, so there's going to be some extra planning because we don't know where COVID is going to take us again. Mm-hmm. It didn't stop us this, this uh, in 2020. It's not going to stop us from this day forward. Uh, as long as the need is there, we recognize that as a 911 call during the holiday that many folks who go through some tough times, even uh, without COVID and, and everything, mm-hmm. um, they've fallen hard times. And we want to make sure that we can make it just a little bit more special during the holiday season for them. Yeah, and I remember as a reporter, I, I covered the toy drive a couple times, and at least one time I actually rode along with uh, the volunteers delivering the bags <coughs> of toys and got to see a couple families um, as the toys were delivered. And it's just, it's incredibly heartwarming, but you can also just see how stressed some of the parents are and how nice it is just to have something that they don't need to worry about. Right. That this year, they don't need to worry about the toys going under the tree. Like They, they can... They can take that off of their internal stress list and and you know not not let their kids see that they're going through that. Right, and and you know it's an assistance program, mm-hmm. um, so we do from newborn up to twelve years of age. Mm-hmm. You know, buying for the older teens can be very uh, uh, taxing, mm-hmm. um, but it you know because it costs more to take care of them, mm-hmm. and we realize that. So we feel that if we can help take care of the ones that we get the donations for. Right. Uh, that helps offset some of their costs so they can take care of the older teens mm-hmm. and, and it, it better serves. Um, and that starts right at the planning process, right at the table. When we have our, our uh, application process, we have our, uh, our volunteers coming in within the fire, in the fire department and their wives um, and interpreters coming in. Uh, and we find out what their needs are. We sit down and, and in, interview them briefly to say, what, what, you know, they, they put down the kids and their ages and stuff like that. But one thing we, you may forget is some of them might have special needs. Mm-hmm. Not every toy is right for every kid. And be able to speak to the family with regards to that, mm-hmm. uh, they, they feel special. Um, but we also feel that we're doing the right thing by getting them the right gift. Mm-hmm. We do our best to do that. Um, and the donations come through every year. Uh, we cross our fingers, another finger crosser. Um, that, you know, do- donations continue to come in during these tough times. But, uh, again, take it back to the community. Uh, we had a very successful year in 2020. We were able to take care of everybody to ask for help, uh, and we-, we hope that that will continue. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, looking back at the last 40 years or so, um, w- what has kept you here, like both in terms of the department and the community? Um, because, you know, obviously over the course of 40 or so years, you probably have chances to leave or thoughts to leave or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, what, what has kept you here? You know, I believe um, because of the size of our department, I was given some educational opportunities that I probably wouldn't have gotten as quickly in a larger department. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, I was able to go to the National Fire Academy in Emmitsburg, Maryland. I was able to go five times uh, to that. It's a stipend program. It didn't cost the city you know, any money to send me. That's a federal uh, grant money that, that pays for all that. Um, but it, the, the information and the education was invaluable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are dealing, you're interacting with people from all over the world. Uh, I remember uh, having... Uh, gone and I had a guy from Iceland in my uh, in my group 
and, and you might have a language barrier, mm -hmm. but you speak the same language but why, why we're there. Mm -hmm. And we figured it out. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that just that interaction uh, was a, you know gave me an opportunity to uh, you know just educate myself and push myself into areas that I would never do before. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you before I got in the fire service, I would have never done any of the stuff I've done. Uh, I wouldn't have gotten involved as much as I am, but I see the importance of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, the educational. And again, I mentioned my mentors. Um, we, I've, I've, had, I've been blessed with uh, company officers and chief officers that seen the value, uh, some, somewhat of value in me. Uh, and I, I remember a couple of times where they said, you're going to do it. You were voluntold to do it. But I, I embraced those times. And you just do it mm -hmm. because you're going to go out. It's got to be done. You might as well be the best you can at it. And, and that's what I, what I remember. And have I had opportunities to go elsewhere? Yes. I chose not to. My family's here. Uh, to uproot everybody and go uh, was not in the cards. Uh, I was well taken care of. Uh, my 40 years here with the city of Sierra Vista, again, I'll use the word blessed uh, because they've taken care of me and my family and gave us a life. And I, I think... Uh, uh, that kept me here because that's it's called loyalty hmm. to the, to the, um, every every management team I've seen at the city cares about the employees in, in my in my uh, observation so wh why would I leave right so it's, it's a great legacy to have to, to be with an organization that long in a community that long I, I definitely think there's so, something special to that like you can't you can't replicate that kind of connection and that kind of history you build over the years. It's just, it's something special. I, I hate to coin that phrase that's always used. If you like what you do, you never work another day mm -hmm. in your life. Um, but it's true. Um, you know, I see people at their worst, maybe not so much now, but certainly throughout my year being, you know, running medical, which we run 90% of the time. Yeah. Uh, you see them at their worst. Uh, and, and there's some things, some good that comes out of it too, um, like childbirths. You know, some people might, you know, look the other way. I have, I, I was lucky enough to be assisting mm -hmm. in 12 childbirths. Wow. People say, what's it like to deliver a baby? Ask the mother. <laughs> they do all the work. We're there to help, right? So assisting in the childbirth, uh, watching life come into this world uh, is, is cool. So... Yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, it's one of the cool things about your job is you're you're there for some really amazing moments, and and you touch people's lives in moments that really matter. Yeah, and and then you got the bad ones where mm -hmm. I think the worst for me is uh, child abuse, mm -hmm. any type of abuse, mm -hmm. domestic violence. You know, you got some training on that, and all the trainings ever did to me was make me angry, <laughs> yeah. because why do you why do you beat up on the ones you love? Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a, a, a fact of life. And how we react to it and get them the right people involved, you know, the healthcare and, and those folks who, who deal with that. They are the experts in the field. We're picking up, you know, the pieces and, and kind of bringing them to them. But uh, that's always been tough for me to, to deal with. Yeah, I always think of uh, what Mr. Rogers says uh, and, and kind of advice he gives to parents speaking to their children um, in times of crisis and, and when they see things that aren't right, that aren't good. Um, he always tells them, or he would tell them, to, to look at the helpers. Um, so, you know, if it's a, if it's a tra traffic collision, a murder, a crime, whatever, there are people there trying to fix things, trying to put lives back together, trying to give people the support they need. Um, and frankly, you've been one of those people. And, and it's just it's such a cool career to, to get to be one of those people that, you know, even in the worst of times, are doing whatever they can to make things better. Yeah. 
And uh, so it's, it's been great talking to you and you've obviously had an awesome career here with the city and I'll be sorry to see you go, but uh, do you have any, any plans for retirement? Any ideas of what you're going to get into? You know, uh, my first eight months, and people ask me, why eight months? Why not the first year? I have no plans. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wake up and take it day by day. Um, that's something I haven't been able to do. i got to wake up, and my, I've always had to plan my day, a week, and sometimes weeks in advance mm-hmm. of what I'm doing. I have no plans. I'm not going to plan. I'm going to wake up, and if I feel like you know, you know, going somewhere, I'm going to go somewhere. Um, I'm, uh, I'm also lucky enough to have all my children here. My grandchildren, so I don't have to travel to go see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best, uh, most I'm going to have to do is follow some of them in their sports careers leading on to college, and that is, I'm looking forward to that. So um, I'm going to take what life's given me. I'm going to uh, be respectful of that. Uh, I'm not leaving the area. I'm, I might even volunteer again. Um, we'll see what what time brings. But for the eight, first eight months, you probably won't even see me hit the street. Well, that'll be a well-deserved break, and I hope you're looking forward to it. I am. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today, Thanks for the time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Let's Talk Sierra Vista. As always, you're invited to join the conversation by sending your comments, ideas, or questions to pod at sierravistaaz.gov. That's pod, P-O-D, at sierravistaaz.gov. Take care, everybody.